Welcome to Love, Money, and the Law, where you'll find conversations about everything relationships, marriage, and divorce. I'm your host, Cindy Hyde, and my goal is to bring you new insights and points of view through legal, psychological, financial, and spiritual perspectives. Be sure to check out lovemoneylaw.com for live seminars, free videos, and products related to many of the topics we'll discuss. I'm glad you're here. Welcome to Love, Money, and the Law, where we share honest, intimate information about relationships and family law. The subject is cohabitation agreements. I'm Cindy Hyde, and I'm here to support you in having a happy, committed relationship. After years of practice as a family law attorney in Houston, Texas, I believe these contracts are valuable and can promote the success of a long-term, committed partnership. Some might say, well, Aren't we just anticipating a breakup? No. I believe it's really just the opposite. I encourage you to, con- to listen, keep an open mind, and consider that a cohabitation agreement is an act of care and love. I also want to emphasize that nothing here is legal advice. The purpose of this information is to bring awareness to issues that are a part of these contracts. If you decide this is something you want to do because you are committed to each other for the long term, then you and your partner will each need to contact a family law attorney in your state to see how the issues apply to your personal circumstances. So what can be included in a cohabitation agreement? These contracts can be comprehensive and cover numerous aspects of your relationship, including finances, property, children, and everyday living responsibilities. You can also include personal services, such as cooking, cleaning, couple time, free time, and sexual frequency, although these particulars are usually not legally enforceable. Most importantly, however, the very exercise of working through the terms of these agreements provides security and assurances because it shows a deep level of mutual commitment and consideration for you as a couple. If you're living together, there are many reasons why you may want to have a contract that concerns your live-in arrangement. One of the main reasons is to clearly state that you're not married, that you should not be considered married just because you're living together, and that you do not intend to be married in the future. As an alternative to marriage, Some couples like to have a commitment ceremony to demonstrate the depth and meaning of the relationship as a statement to family and friends. In these cases, a cohabitation agreement is especially important to show that your lifestyle falls short of marriage. This is especially true in states such as Texas in order to avoid creating a common law or informal marriage. These agreements also define the boundaries of home ownership and residence. The obligation of sharing a residence should not be left to chance. Let's say you want to purchase a home together. The agreement should set out the terms of payment, percentage ownership, terms and conditions for transfer of ownership, and rights of survivorship. If you're leasing a residence together, include the demand for eviction in the event it's needed. Spell out a basis for compensation also for the one who moves out. You'll also need to consider what happens to the residents in the event of a split. Who remains in the house? 
If you own it together, then it's a good idea to include terms for a buyout. Or what happens if one of you dies? If the house is not left to your partner, a trust can provide for the length of time a surviving companion can continue to live in the house. Then after that time period expires, perhaps one to three years, your heirs would be free to sell the house. Basically, you'll clarify who owns the property where you live and the legal character of the way the property is held. These are issues for your lawyers to define according to the laws of your state. Let me give you an example of some of the issues that could be involved when living together while paying down the mortgage. If one partner owns the house and a companion helps pay down the mortgage while living together, what happens if the couple later splits? Here's a solution. Specify what percentage, if any, each partner owns, how much each contributed to the down payment and the mortgage, and how the house should be divided if they break up. All ad valorem taxes, personal property taxes, and assessments in connection with the property of one or both of the parties should also be considered. How will improvements to the property be handled? Tax write-offs and home equity should also be taken into consideration. Who gets that benefit? If the owner of the house dies, is the companion entitled to any of the equity that has accrued while they live together? As you can see, it's best to keep the management of your separate property separate, including the bank account that pays for the management of any real property assets. You should also outline the financial framework for your living arrangement. Who pays for what? Write it down. Initially, this brings up more questions than answers. For example, will you contribute to the expenses in proportion to your income? Will you have a household account? How do you manage it? Who contributes and how much? Do you combine one or more accounts and pay jointly? What about extraordinary expenses or emergencies? If only one of you is working, how will the income be shared, if at all? How will your everyday expenses be paid? What about the fun stuff, like vacations, entertainment, or personal care? These are just some of the issues that should be addressed as you state the purpose and transparent use of your funds. After you've worked out who's paying the lease or the mortgage, you'll need to decide whether you'll share any financial accounts, such as a joint checking or savings. Typically, each person keeps his or her own bank accounts in order to keep their separate property and income separate. Should the relationship end, when you've already identified the funds on account, it's a lot easier. Additionally, writing down the ownership of your personal belongings avoids any misunderstanding in the future about who owns what, such as furniture, jewelry, digital assets, cars, and so on. One of the biggest areas concerning finances revolves around payments of debts and whether liabilities will remain separate. If it's your intention that debts remain the responsibility of the one who incurred them, then say so. If you don't have such a written document, the general rule is to not mix or commingle assets or money with that of a spousal equivalent. For example, if one party pays a debt on behalf of the other, then the question may arise later as to whether or not that payment 
is reimbursable. Absent an agreement to do so, it may be considered a gift instead of a loan. Also consider how you'll divide ownership if you do make a purchase, such as furniture or art. Identify each and every asset, including your financials, to make it clear that they'll remain separate and free of any interest, beneficial, equitable, or otherwise, from your partner. One solution is to make an ownership schedule and state how ownership will be distributed in the event of a split. Now let's talk for a minute about children. Oftentimes, couples who live together have children from a previous marriage. The children should be named as well as any obligations that either partner will take on or not. Typically, this is more about excluding obligations, expenses, or responsibilities to the other party's child rather than promise to fulfill duties on behalf of the other. Anytime children are involved, in the event of a breach of contract issue, a court may easily reject or modify an agreement based on the best interest of a child. This standard will always trump what parties have agreed to in deference to their own obligations under an original court order that concerns the care and custody of a child. At any rate, who will care for the children and their expenses is an appropriate clause to include. And while we're talking about households, don't forget to address who gets the pets in the event of a breakup or death. As you can see, these contracts are based on life as it happens. So anything that is a part of your lifestyle can and should be included. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Love, Money, and the Law. Be sure to subscribe to receive a note about the next topic. When you subscribe, it helps support this effort to bring you independent insights into topics that matter in your family and beyond.